Ephesians chapter 4, 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Father, A dad has great joy when he raises a son and he watches that son emulate those things, those character attributes that are important to the father. And Lord, that's just a little glimpse of how you feel when you see your children imitating your attributes when we emulate your character. Father, this is a tall, tall order to be a mimicker, a follower, an imitator of the perfect Heavenly Father. And yet Jesus commanded us to be perfect as our Father in Heaven is perfect. And Lord, the context of that is love, kindness, and forgiveness. Father, I pray today that you would help us in our daily walk to be conscious of sin. Lord, that we might be able to identify it quickly. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit will make us sharp I pray, Father, that we will not allow sin to grieve your presence that lives within us. I pray, God, that this week we will be quick to repent, quick to listen to the voice of the Spirit. God, I ask today that we might be armed, that we will put on the new man which is created in righteousness in true holiness. Father, I pray that the spiritual principles that you give us this week 
will be a motive and be an encouragement for us to imitate God. We pray this for your glory. We pray this for your kingdom's sake. We pray that, that this church may leave these doors today and be a city that is set on a hill which cannot be hid. In Jesus' name, amen. Might be, may be seated. Ephesians chapter 4, verses uh, 17 through 25, sort of sets us up for today, and that's what we studied last Sunday, that God wants us to be all that we can be, all that he intended us to be. We're not, we're not what we used to be. I was reading C.S. Lewis. And he was writing in the book, Mere Christianity, about one of the arguments against Christianity. And he says that a lot of Christians don't act like what they're supposed to be. And he says, herein lies the difference. When other people of other religions and atheists act the way they do, they are acting the way their religion and their beliefs say that they should act. And the difference is when a Christian acts in an ungodly way, he's acting contrary to the master. And then he went on to say, he said, many times we've never stopped to ask ourselves, what was that person like before they became a follower of Jesus? Sanctification is a gradual process. It's a lifelong learning. When I met my father-in-law um, 40 years ago, he was not who he used to be. He would go into bars, and he would find an atheist, and he'd pick a fight with him so he could beat him up. <laughs> my father-in-law was not a believer in Jesus. He just couldn't stand atheists. And he would do anything he could to provoke a fight with them. He didn't want anything to do with Christianity, however. If you went to his house, you wouldn't think he was a follower of God. Every weekend, they would party, they would drink, he would gamble, and then he would repeat the cycle all over again. That was his life. And so when you met him as a believer, you would think, man, this guy is kind of rough around the edges. He still had a fiery temper. I, I remember my father-in-law. He still had some aggression. But you know what? He never hit people anymore. He didn't beat people up, beat people up anymore. And as I have watched him over 40 years, he is one of the most gentle caring, compassionate, kind men that I have ever met, and he's not what he used to be. He is all that God intended him to be. And that's what God has for us. This say, therefore, and I testify in the Lord, Paul said, that you no longer walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, 
having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who now have gotten to the point where they are past feeling and they've given themselves over to work all uncleanliness with ungodliness. But you, this morning, you've not learned Christ that way, have you? If so be you've heard about Jesus, have you been taught about Jesus, you are to put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, I like the way the King James Old Translation says that, wherefore or because of, on account of this, having already putting off lying. Now in the original language, there's a direct article before the word lying, and it could be translated because you have put off the lie. You didn't buy into it. You no longer see the way you used to see. And you can see everything that Satan has painted for you, and he promised you freedom, he promised you liberty, he promised you could just do as you pleased, and all it did was bring you bondage and slavery. And you have put off the lie. Having put off the lie, and now he says, speak truth one to another, and it's a direct quote from Zechariah chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. So the context of that quote is a covenant people that had left Babylon to go back to Jerusalem. They had been taken into captivity because of their unfaithfulness to the covenant relationship with God. They had broken the covenant faithfulness with one another. They were exploiting one another. They were stealing from one another. And Paul quotes this. He says, you are a new community of people. You've put off the lie. Now speak every man truth with his neighbor. So the context of that is corporately, as the body of Christ, we owe each other transparency. We owe each other realness, genuineness, and sincerity. When we come into the church, we need to have people who are genuine, who are sincere, who are trustworthy, who are reliable. That's the covenant relationship that God is talking about in Zechariah, and now he's applying it to the new covenant people of the church in this dispensation. So have put off the lie. You're not used to be. Put off the lie and put on. So our message has got three points of putting off, putting on, and then a spiritual principle. Put off. Jesus himself is the truth, isn't he? And we are to speak the truth. Anything that God does through his people is accomplished with the truth. Anything that God accomplishes outside of that, I don't know anything about it. Neither does the Bible. The truth is who Christ is, and that's who we are to put on. We are not fit instruments for the kingdom apart from speaking truth. And now what is the spiritual principle that Paul is going to apply that I need to put off the line? Or having already put off the line, I need to speak truth one to another. He says, because, the purpose clause is because you are members one of another. So Sheila and I, we are part of the same family. Tracy and I, Brendan and I, Dennis and I, we are all the same family. And I am not to lie to my family members. Putting offline because you are members one of another. And so what Paul is emphasizing here, the effectiveness of our church body as a corporate group of people, the effectiveness of us 
depends on our truthfulness to one another. You come in, you know, church is, is a, it's kind of a, a funny place. I remember growing up as a kid, and our churches were not good places to go and worship, but we would just act like they were. We had to wear certain clothes back those days. Those days, My mom would iron my clothes. I wore this little tie, and I had a little sports jacket. I remember that. My dad would grease my hair back, and we would all go into church. And on the way to church, I mean, sometimes it was the biggest dogfight you'd ever seen. Us four kids, we didn't want to go to church. None of us were saved. We were all a bunch of unbelievers riding in the same car, going to this place to worship a God we didn't even know. There was no truth. We would walk in, we would walk out. And Paul is saying, we are members one of another. We are a family. When dishonesty arises in the body of Christ, we are only hurting ourselves. We're the one who suffers for it. It's like hitting myself. This week I was doing some sheet rocking and I had this full sheet and I dropped it on my feet and this morning I was looking at my toes and they're all black and blue. I, I did that to myself. I don't like doing that to myself. <laughs> and we need to have honesty and transparency because all we're hurting is ourselves. And so Paul's saying, the effectiveness, here's the spiritual principle. God's tool in this dark world is the light of the truth. God uses truth to mature his saints. The word members implies that we're all the same body and we are to harmoniously, progressively live in the utmost confidence and interdependency on one another. And we can only do that as a church body if I can rely when your word is your seal. Jesus said it like this. He says, you've heard it in old times. He who swears by the heaven, or he swears by earth, or he who swears by the altar has to do what he says. You know why they had those, all those oaths in the Old Testament? It's because people were known liars. And they, oh, I promise, I swear, I'll swear on this. And Jesus said, get rid of all oaths. Just be a person of your word. Let your yes mean yes. Let your no mean no. So as new covenant people, part of a relationship in the body of Christ, we are to speak truth with one another because we are the instrument that God's going to use to lighten the darkness. The next put on and put on and the spiritual principle, the spiritual principle of putting off anger. Now, some of you might just like this verse for the first part. It says, be angry. I like that. Be angry. Okay, I can do that, Lord. Be angry. It's an imperative, but it's an imperative permissive. It's giving, granting permission. It says, okay, I know this is who you are. You are people, and people have emotions, right? Be angry. Jesus was angry when he walked into the temple. He saw them selling doves, selling oxen, selling sheep in a house of prayer, and he overturned the tables. He says, you have made this a den of emporium, a den of iniquity. And he had anger, but he did not sin. So anger is a normal emotion. God gets angry, doesn't he? He's angry with the wicked every day. The Bible tells us this. It's a normal emotion. And so Paul is saying, I will allow anger. But here's the danger. Every one of us know that when we get angry, sin is crouching at the door. 
I mean, it doesn't take long, two minutes of anger, and it begins to move over into the area of sin. Be angry. Yes, you can be angry at righteous things, indignation, but even righteous indignation, you know what it ends up sometimes? It ends up lack of trust in God, questioning his goodness, gossiping about somebody else. That's what Paul is saying here. Be angry, but don't allow it to develop into sin because that's usually where anger goes when we don't curtail it. Be angry. It's a permissive, passive imperative. I'm allowing you to do this. It's a human motion. But there's a strong warning. And so what do we do when we see anger coming and we don't want it to escalate into sin? We resolve it quickly, allowing it, not allowing it to, to fester, not allowing it to boil, not allowing it to get hot. If it's on the stove, you move it off. You get away from it. So what, do we, what does Paul tell us to do? He says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Resolve it quickly. Anger sometimes takes on a whole persona of its own self, doesn't it? When we don't deal with it quickly, it can grow into a mountain. We can make something small and get angry about it, and next thing we know, we're fighting over something that is so insignificant, but that thing, boy, we are going to prove that we're right. Anger sometimes develops into this I-have-got-to-win attitude. That's when it becomes sin. Don't let it grow. It leads to gossip. It, takes, it, it, it costs you a, a great time of energy. Then you become a judge. By not letting the sun go down upon your wrath in your anger, you are preventing a root of bitterness from springing up and others becoming defiled. You see, anger doesn't just affect you, does it? It affects everybody around you. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 through, uh, verses, chapter 12, verses 14 through, 12 through 14, starts out like this. Live at peace. Live at peace with all men. And holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Let the word of grace dwell in you, lest a root of bitterness spring up and thereby many are defiled. Deal with anger quickly. Don't allow the sun to go down upon your wrath. And here is the spiritual principle that's going to motivate us not to do it. Every man speak truth with his neighbor. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. And then the next verse says, neither give place to the devil. That's the spiritual principle. Satan loves nothing more than to use this tool in his arsenal to destroy the work of God. This is his strategy. This is his ploy. Paul wrote a letter to the second, the second letter of Corinthians, and he says, you need to forgive this guy. You need to put it behind you lest Satan take advantage of us. When we don't deal with our anger quickly, we are living in a time bomb, a ticking place where Satan is just going to say, this is my playground, this is where I'm going to take dominion and rule. You know what it reminds me of? It's remind, it reminds me of a poor exit strategy leaving millions and millions of dollars of weapons behind 
in the hands of a terrorist. <laughs> That's what this is like. You are leaving Satan, our arch enemy, with all the ammunition for which he is now going to launch an attack on us. Don't give place to the devil. This is where he wants to come into a church and destroy the work of God. Be angry, yes. Don't let it escalate. Deal with it quickly. Don't let it build into something that it's not. Neither give Satan an opportunity to use it to divide the Christian church. The devil knows how to exploit our anger. The devil knows how to turn it into sin. The longer we wait, the more unlikely reconciliation will take place. Have you found that true in your own life? I remember I was preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. I was in Ireland, and I came to this verse that says, Deal with your adversary quickly while you're in the way with him, lest he come and grab you and takes you to the magistrate, and you will not be out until you pay the last farthing. Now, that's kind of a paraphrase of that passage in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, and I was preaching it. And I knew I had offended a man in the church about four months ago, and we had never really talked about it. We'd never really gotten things right. And here I was preaching that, and I couldn't even look at him while I was preaching. And as soon as I was done, he walked out the door and headed down the street, and I went like a beeline after him. And I says, Joe, I says, you know that you and I have got to get this thing right. And he turned around, he says, I'm so glad you followed me out. He says, because I didn't want to talk to you, but I didn't know how to handle it. And, and, and I said, neither one of us can go any further, can we, in our Christian life until we deal with this. And we both just asked each other's forgiveness there on the street of Limerick. But Satan made it so hard. We didn't even want to bring up the subject anymore. It's like we weren't even going to go there, and both of us were just sort of doing our own things and acting like it never happened, and yet we were uncomfortable with each other and each other's company. And the longer I waited, the harder it got. The longer he waited, the harder it got. But I knew that I couldn't go anymore. If I'm going to preach this message, boy, i got to get this beam out of my own eye. You know, I, I, But we all, we, we've all been there, haven't we? The next spiritual principle the one who stole steal no longer work with your hands so that you may have to give to him as need very simple but I, I love this verse because it sort of pictures the entire passage the one who steals it's a participle and it describes the character and the nature of that person the one who is a thief kleptos let him be a klepto no more don't let him do it anymore. And so, and, and then he says, what does he want him to do? He says, take those same hands that used to steal, and I want you to take those hands and now put them to work. And this really is a, a picture of the Christian life, the one who habitually does something, change it and replace it with something else. The one who is impatient, no longer be impatient, be a patient person. The one who is self-centered, no longer be a self-centered person, but be a selfless person. The one who is filled with pride, no longer be filled with pride, but be a humble person. That's the idea of this verse. The thing that once controlled you, that lived out who you are, that's the idea of the one who steals. It's a participle, and it makes up the whole phrase that's the subject of the verse. Let that person stop stealing. Put on a new persona, a new 
new, complete, different person. It's the transformation that follows Christianity. Put on hard work. The hands that once stole now need to labor. Present yourselves unto God. That's what Paul is saying here, and that's what we need to do daily. Lord, here's my hands. Here's my members. Here's my feet. Here's my eyes. Whatever my eyes used to look at, I don't want them to go there anymore. Whatever my hands used to do, I don't want them to use them for that. Whatever my feet found themselves busy of myself during the day, I don't want to do that anymore. So I present my members to God as being alive from the dead. Romans chapter 8 and verse 13. The spiritual principle is simple. It's giving. So that my life might be a blessing. So why does the thief stop stealing? Not just because he wants to be honest. No. You take it to the next degree as a follower of Christ. We don't simply go the mile with someone. We go the second mile. The thief no longer doesn't just stop stealing. Now he works so that he may give. The lazy person isn't just industrious now. He is now serving other people. We take it to the next level as a follower of Christ. And that is the spiritual principle. We ask now, God, how can I be used as a blessing to those around me? Let no corrupt communication out of, come out of your mouth. The word for corrupt is the word for rotten or putrid. I mean, it's, it's just it's decaying. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to those who hear you. So we have the what to put off, we have what to put on, and we have the spiritual principle again. The word corrupt is also used in Matthew chapter 12. And the idea is that what comes out of your mouth really originates in the heart, doesn't it? Either you make the tree good, its heart and its fruit, what comes out of your mouth good, or you make the tree corrupt, and what comes out of its mouth will also be corrupt. Then Jesus, right after that, says that you and I need to be cautioned about what comes out of our mouth. I remember when I worked at a, at a penitentiary, and I was the, the coach, and I mean, you guys, I, I worked around some guys who had some corrupt mouths. And uh, I would bring my Bible into, into the class with these guys. I was the, the one who, I mean, we'd have all kinds of fun stuff. You know, I, I got paid to go in here with these, these criminals and, and make basketball tournaments. And we would do pool games. And, and they would, I mean, they'd just be cursing all the time. And I, I said, uh-uh, we're not doing that. And one of them said to me, Coach, coach, why won't you let us curse in here? I said, it's not me. I said, I I'm worried about you. You're worried about me. And so I would open the Bible, and I would take them to Matthew chapter 12 and verse 39. It says that you will give an account for every idle word that comes out of your mouth. And I mean, these criminals, you could see them coming under conviction. They were convicts, all right. And I would have so many opportunities to witness to these guys and give them the gospel through that verse. 
let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. We will give an account for every rotten, every putrid, every gossip, every slander, every heartful, every unkind word about another person when they're not in our presence. That's a scary thought, isn't it? And so what we need to put on words of Here's the spiritual principle. Our speech should strengthen, replace vulgar with wholesome words. I want to give us three really simple things today about our words. Number one, let your words be few. In the multitude of words, sin is not wanting. The more I run my mouth, the more I say than what I should say, the more I exaggerate, the more I leave things out and make myself look good, make others look bad. Believe me, in the fewness of our words, there's wisdom. Second principle, choose your words carefully. Proverbs 25, properly or fitly spoken is like apple golden pitcher. Third, our words. Ecclesiastes 10.12, the words of a wise man's mouth, but the lips of a fool will swallow him up. Principle about our words. I, I think this is the context here when he says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed in the day of redemption. I'm thinking when we have corrupt hearts, because that's the idea of this rottenness, what comes out of our mouth originates in our heart, and when our hearts are not aligned with God, we grieve, we sorrow, we cause the Holy Spirit that lives within us to mourn. When God looked down in Genesis chapter 6, and he saw that man's heart was continually evil only, it says God was sorrowful and it grieved him that he made man on the earth. And you and I, when our words are like this, the Holy Spirit is just shrivels up inside of us. He is grieved. Now, why is that so important? The Holy Spirit is the only way that you and I can have victory in this life. It's by the Holy Spirit that I put on the new man. It's by the Holy Spirit that I put to deeds, the, the death the deeds of the, my body. It's by the Holy Spirit that I'm able to understand this book. It's by the Holy Spirit's enablement that I am able to share my faith with others. And so don't let this control you. And here's the spiritual principle. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. He has come to live within you and all the way until the day of redemption. He's not going anywhere. And you can live a Christian life that is powerless and that's ineffective if we continue to allow our mouths to be used in a way that's dishonoring to God. And instead, I ought to speak words that are going to encourage people, that's going to strengthen them, that's going to build them up and push them further along in their Christian life. We must put away vengeful and unforgiving attitudes. We've got another passive imperative here in verse um, 31. Let all bitterness, let. When, that, when you see that in your English translation, you can just sort of tell yourself this again 
is an imperative that we are to allow something to happen. Let it happen. Let all bitterness, and the verb doesn't get getting down to the, until the, um, the middle of this verse. Let it be put away. That's, that's the verb. And so, and Paul puts the subject right in the middle. What are we to put away? What is it that needs to be put away? It's bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil, speaking with all malice. Let's just kind of look at each one of those words to better define them and understand what this means in this context. Bitterness. First of all, the word put away, it means to make a clean sweep. That's what it means to put something away. And the preposition from, it's even emphasizing it, get it out of your life. All these things. Bitterness, the original word means harsh, poisonous words that raise up feelings of hatred. Wrath, the Greek word is themos or thumos, where we get the word thermos. That means a quick, boiling, heated temper. Anger is a passion that desires vengeance or getting even. Clamor literally means an outcry, raising our voice in the midst of an argument in order to have our point heard rather than giving an ear to what the other person has to say. Put away clamor. Raising our voice in outcry so that we get our point driven and we stop listening. Every man let him be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's the spiritual principle that he's giving us here, and these are the definitions of these words. Evil speaking, the Greek word literally is blasphema, where we get the word blasphemy from. And this word in the original means to slander or to defame someone's character, whether it is true or not. You can tell something about somebody, and it may be true, but the only motive that you're telling it is to slander them or to defame them. And we're to put it away. We're to make a clean break from us, from it. It's meant to be injurious. The present imperative, then, is to be our character. The opposite of all these things, don't even let them be mentioned. The principle, principle, the spiritual principle, then, is found in verse 32. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even, I'm sorry, the, yeah, the principles found in the last part of this verse, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We are most like God when we forgive others. Because when we do that, we are assuming the other person's indebtedness to us. And we're no longer holding that against them. What a picture of the gospel. That's the kind of people that God wants us to be. Let all bitterness, harsh words, poisonous words, injurious words, vindictive words, anger, quickness to boil over, clamor, outcrying, put it off, be kind one to another. Tenderhearted, the Greek word for tenderhearted is splachnia, which means your intestines. Be tenderhearted, feel it right in your stomach. Have a strong, deep 
compassion for that person. Don't be running them down. Forgive them. Be kind-hearted because when you do that, you are most like God who says, you know what? I'm going to absorb all that debt and I'm not going to hold it against them. Even as God in Christ has forgiven you. All our sins were forgiven in Christ. Jesus told a parable about forgiveness. And I think it's applicable to every single one of us. And the parable goes kind of like this. There was two debtors, and the guy had something that he just could not pay off. I mean, it was immense. And he came and he pleaded with the master, oh, there's no way I'm ever going to pay this off. It's going to take a lifetime for me to pay this off. And the master said, you know what? I'm, I feel that deep-seated compassion for you. Your debt's gone. He went out and he found his friend who owed him like a day's wage. You owe me a day's wage and you're going to pay me every little penny. When the master heard about that, he was completely blown his mind. Who are you not to forgive when I had this incredible debt and I just washed it away? I think about what people have done to me. It's probably less than a day's wage. And what I have been forgiven by God. It's an infinity debt. I mean, there ain't a day that goes by where I don't mess up. And you know all I have to do is say, God, I confess this to you. And God is faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So who are you and I to withhold forgiveness from anybody? Even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Third thing about forgiveness that should motivate us, and this hopefully will put the fear of God in you. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your Father in heaven will also forgive you. What a wonderful promise. You are released from that debt when you are releasing others from that indebtedness toward you. God looks down and says, you know what? You're forgiven. I can tell you're a transformed person and your heart is right with me. And the rest of that verse goes like this. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you of your trespasses. That's a motive, isn't it? To get things right. We know what to put off, don't we? We know that we're to put off anger and we are to deal with it quickly. Don't let the sun go down upon your anger. The longer you wait, the harder it will be. And the longer you wait, the more room Satan has to use it against you and to bring confusion in the body of Christ. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him who stole, what is he supposed to do? Steal no longer. Let him work with his hands so that he may have to give to him who has need. Let nothing corrupt come out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Why? That it might minister grace to those who hear you. What else are we supposed to put off? Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, with all malice, blasphemy, be kind one to another, tenderhearted for another, 
So today we know what to put off, we know what to put on, and we know why we're supposed to put it on, don't we? You know, when I was a kid, my favorite question for my mom was why. <laughs> She'd tell me to do something. My dad, I'd say, ask him. He'd say, you know, I want you to, to clean the garage out today. Why? My dad would say, because I said so. And you know what? That should be enough alone, right? Because he's my authority. He is my father. And why does God want us to put these things off? Why does he want us to put off anger? Why does he want us to put off corruptness? Why does he want us to, to, to put on tender mercies and kindness? Why does he want us to put on diligence and sharing and giving? Why does he want us to put on kindness? You know, it should be just enough to say, you know what? Because he said so, God said so. But God knows our hearts, and he says, I'm also going to give you the reasons why. I don't want Satan to get a hold of you. I want the church together to work corporately and to be in harmony. I want you to be a blessing to other people around you. That's why I want you to give. I want you to be like me. That's why I want you to forgive. I want people to see the change in your life so that they might come to know me as well. We will give an account of every idle word spoken on the day of judgment. Our, needs word, our words need to be few. They need to be well chosen. They need to be wise. They need to impart grace to those who hear us. Being kind and gracious and forgiving, we are imitating our God who in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. Father, today, Lord, I have been thinking about this passage all week long, especially the very first principle. Lord, I know how anger can so quickly turn into sin. Lord, it's all around us. We live in a world, God, where this is so real, and, and the Holy Spirit, who inspired Paul to write this, understands our human weakness. Be angry, but don't let that thing turn into sin. God, our words can grieve and quench the Spirit of Christ that lives in us. Father, we need your power. We need your enablement. So I ask today, God, that you would help us this week. Just fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. God, I pray that we would be surrendered, that God, that we would come before you and say, Lord, have my mouth this week, God. Have my hands this week, Lord. Have my thoughts. God, make me a person of tenderness, compassionate, God, make me a forgiving person. Help me, God, to go the second mile with people. I want the Holy Spirit to empower me, to transform me, to enable me to live within me so that I can put to death the deeds of my body by the Spirit, Romans 8, 13. Oh, God, we ask this for your kingdom, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.